everybody, and welcome to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Giacomo. And I'm Danny. And this is our 16th episode. everybody thanks for tuning in to episode number 16 we are a couple days late getting this up it has just been crazy madness around these parts um, but we are still doing them bi-weekly i think it's going to be exactly two weeks from the day the last one came out it's just we've been a couple days behind so what have you been up to jackmo uh the same thing you've been up to we're just like tunnel tunnel vision focused on this competition giving it everything we got basically yeah, we're two weeks out right now. We just got set up with our peak week plans today. And peak week is basically manipulating your macronutrients and other other variables to make sure that you bring your best possible package on show day while you're on stage. You literally want your physique to peak during that one to two hours, hopefully, so that you present your best self. So we've been training really hard for that. Um, we've been prepping for a really long time now, and we're exhausted. How long has it been for you? 22 weeks. 22 now? 22 and weeks, almost six months, yeah. It's been, I want to say, 16 weeks for me, and you know, I guess with the next two weeks, that'll be <laughs> almost a, almost Ugh. half the year for you, basically. So we, we, lo- we really do love... The sport of bodybuilding, but anybody who tries to tell you that it's, you know, fun and easy all the way through it is full of shit because at the end, it's you feel you feel like crap. Yeah. I mean, you just feel like crap. And at that point, it becomes 100 percent mental because physically you just you don't you don't have very much left. So you have to dig deeper and find something else to motivate you through. Yep, and you can go do it hard and fast and just get it done in 12 weeks, but the risk you run when you do that, and it's pretty great, is that there will be muscle loss. And well, I mean, and you'll burn out even harder, faster. I mean, you're still going to burn out. Not to mention the rebound. That's true, too. Anyway. So we spent a day this week recording our daily activities. We recorded a pretty typical day for us right now in prep, working and working out and just doing the things that we normally do because a lot of people ask us like how do you two one how do you two stand each other you're never ever apart which is completely true we are very very rarely apart and it used to drive me insane it, remember it did <laughs> i used to pretend that it didn't drive me insane but deep down inside we knew it was driving me crazy also yeah i mean people you need your you need your space everybody needs their space and i think that's a pretty good sign of a healthy relationship but just the way that it works out is that we are together most of the time we work together we train together we live together we do everything together um we don't have a whole lot of separate interests or really separate time so anyway people ask us how, how do you run your business how do you guys work out every day how do you eat during prep blah 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 blah, blah. so we figured the best way to uh, answer that question was to make a little day in the life video so that just went up on youtube and we're going to share it on our facebook page today so it's like 20 minutes long but um it really is a very very standard day it was pretty weird, actually, because here we are filming what we do during the day, which we is routine for us, so we don't necessarily think about it. And then as you're editing it and we're doing the voiceover, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so weird. That's, like, literally what we do, and, yeah, it's the point. <laughs> yeah. But um, Revelation, Giacomo. Right. 
<laughs> All right, so today we are going to be talking about kind of a different kind of topic, not a nutrition topic and not a training topic per se, but definitely an interesting topic regardless of whether you're vegan or not or whether you even lift or not. And we're going to be talking about self-acceptance versus self-improvement. And can you have them both? Can these two concepts sort of coexist together? And I really think that it's an interesting topic because people seem to sort of be in one camp or the other. They're either in the self-acceptance camp where it's all about I am who I am and take me for what I am and I love myself just the way I am. Or they're in the self-improvement camp and that's when they're constantly wanting to change and grow uh, at any cost, basically, and they're always thinking about how can I make myself better? What could I do? And it's, it's it. The wheels are just constantly spinning. And it's it's interesting because for us, I mean, I encounter one or the other of these mostly in the realm of um, people's bodies and how they what their attitude towards their own body is. So uh, just for, in my profession, that's what I deal with every single day. But this whole thing can be applied to anything. It can be applied to your job. It can be applied to your relationships. It can be applied to your discipline. It can be applied to any aspect of your life where you either accept and love yourself just the way you are, or you're constantly seeking to improve. And to dig a little deeper on this topic, I think it's really helpful to, to look at yourself and, and understand kind of where you're coming from so you can help figure out, you know, where you can go with this. For me, you know, I, I, I can go way, way, way back. And, you know, as a child, I was always told that I could do no wrong. I was the best. You know, I should love myself no matter what. Like, oh, you got a F minus? Oh, you're awesome. Or, oh, you struck out for like the 10th time in a row at the, at the third game playing baseball? You're great. You're going to be good. I mean, you're the best player out there. I'm exaggerating. That's what I tend to do. My point is that th that kind of uh, foundation built me to have a lot of self-acceptance and a lot of confidence, which has its pros and its cons. I, I you know, I think when you're when your mind is developing before you're an adult and you know you're trying to figure out where you want to go with life before you're just thrown out into the world by yourself with not much guidance as an adult. These things can shape and they can help you a great deal to a point. Eventually, you know, being too one-sided, whether it's based on self-improvement or self-acceptance, can ultimately be your downfall. And for me, you know, it was all well and good having this confidence in the world, but it was a hindrance to me being able to change and to learn and to grow. And that's where Danny came in, actually, because Danny, I mean, you're just a self-improvement specialist constantly. I'm, I'm kind of like a self-improvement junkie. <laughs> it's a little bit embarrassing, actually. I'm just constantly, I'm, I'm obsessed with efficiency, and I just always, always, always want to be my best self in one way or another. And I look to help other people do similar things. You know, when, when Danny would approach me and say, hey, you could do this better, or hey, you're living your life this way, why don't you change it? You know, I, I took it as a personal attack, and I yeah, just... Yeah, you just kind of made it sound like I was insulting you just there. 
Well, no, I mean, constructive criticism, right? Whether it's asked for or not. Can, yeah, it can, wasn't like, <laughs> hey, you're living your life wrong. That, let's make that clear. No, not at all. Of course, you know, my internal mechanisms interpreted it that way. And I said to myself, she hates me or she's just not happy with me the way that I am. It took me a little while to, to get to know Danny when we first met and realized that she basically only wants to, to improve and grow and that's basically you know by her persisting it helped me become a better person and that translated into all areas of my life and for the purpose of this podcast to shorten it up we'll, we'll talk about fitness and I mean it's it's given me the ability to transform my mind to transform my physique it's it's been like night and day the changes actually in my capabilities and I guess I would say that my story is kind of the exact opposite, actually. Um, I was sort of raised to always feel like I was never good enough. I was never smart enough. My grades were never good enough. I wasn't fast enough. I wasn't applying myself enough, blah, blah, blah. Whether these were, you know, values instilled in me or if they were just me putting these ideas on myself, I can't say. It was a really long time ago. But I have always been seeking to become better, faster, stronger, smarter. Anything that I could improve upon, I wanted to. And I would often beat myself up about not being good enough or smart enough or pretty enough or what have you. And that's why I wanted to constantly improve myself was because I didn't like myself. As I got older, it, it became more extreme, where it got to the point where I hated myself in all different ways. I hated the way I looked. I hated the way I communicated with people. I hated the way that I worked. And I still kept wanting to get better and better, of course, but it was because I couldn't stand myself. It took me a while to realize that the place I was coming from to improve myself was a place of hating myself. And I wasn't really getting anywhere doing it that way. And it took a long time to learn to accept myself and appreciate where I was and how far I had come and yada, yada, yada. And although I still consider myself to be a self-improvement junkie, it is night and day to how it was before. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. Between the both of us, I'd, I'd have to say that us being polar opposites in this regard have helped us out a great deal. You know, I would always notice that your biggest thing would be fear. You'd be fear that you would fail and you'd be afraid to take that first step, you know, yeah. with things you weren't working on um, as far as self-improvement goes. But you wanted you wanted it bad. So you would tell me to do it because you, you said, <laughs> I know I know that I could do this, but I'm too scared to do it. But he can do it because he's not me meaning, you know, myself, she would just tell me these things one after another. And eventually, I guess, long story short, we both learned how to do both and balance them. And it's just been the greatest reward that keeps on giving. So the reason that we decided to talk about this today is because it's something that I encounter so, so frequently, both sides, actually, but specifically, I encounter this with a lot of women although I'm sure that men are going through the exact same thing, it's just women are the ones who usually come up to me and talk to me about this, 
you know, I'll see a woman at the gym and I see her there all the time and she works really hard and she's lifting heavy and she's there consistently. And then eventually when we strike up a conversation, it's, oh my God, nothing is changing. I've looked like this forever. I swear I'm doing everything right and nothing is changing. And I just wish that my abs looked this way and I'm, I can't seem to lose this fat and uh, da, da. just, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I'm a complete stranger to this person and they are basically telling me that they hate themselves, whether or not they use those words or not. That's the tone that they are giving me. And I also get this a lot in new clients. I have a really detailed questionnaire that I send to my clients when they first sign up with me and they fill it out and send it back. And a lot of times it's not even necessarily the information that's in the questionnaire that is filling me in on who this person is. It's the tone in which they write about themselves. You hear this undertone of just disdain for their bodies and the way that they look. And obviously they do want to improve because, you know, I see them working hard at the gym or people have decided to sign up with a coach. So I know they want to change, but they're coming from a place of not being able to stand themselves. And I think this is a really, I don't think this is the optimal way to go about things. I don't want to say that it's not always effective because I think many of us get into fitness without liking ourselves and with time and consistency, we eventually get to where we want to go. But is that the best way to get there? I don't think so. In my experience, I don't think so at all. No, not necessarily. I mean, how many people have you met where they they tell you they're literally afraid to go into the gym because of the way that they look? I mean, literally, they won't even go into the... They want to work out in their home and they want to achieve yeah. a certain look before they're confident enough to step into the gym to better themselves. I mean, that's just, just not a, a good place to start. But I mean, there are pros... And cons to both the self-acceptance camp and the self-improvement camp. And I think it's really important to highlight and be aware of all of them. That's the key word right there is awareness. Know where you're coming from, accept where you're coming from, and then be able to adapt both sides over time. So on the self-improvement side, um, some of the good things about it are that you are always working to become your better self in one arena or another or multiple arenas. And that's always a good thing. Uh, it's a good thing to be striving to improve, whether that's with your finances or with your gym schedule or with your nutrition. No matter what it is, it can be really good to keep working for a goal. It gives you some purpose. Um, however, we do live, it seems to me, in a nation that's obsessed with self-help and self-improvement. And if you go to any bookstore, the self-help section is enormous. And people become obsessed with reading the self-help books, but not actually acting upon it. And then constantly feeling like they failed because they didn't achieve what this book promised them. And, you know, we see that in fitness, too. We see yeah. people who research and research and research and research fitness and nutrition, but they don't actually implement any of it. So it doesn't actually improve and they can't figure out why nothing's getting better. So by becoming obsessed with self-improvement, anytime you don't reach those goals, it's really easy to slip into uh, I'm a failure sort of a mindset. Well, you know, and on the other side of the token, I, I do think that as a nation, 
we're also very heavily weighted on self-acceptance, believe it or not. Well, think about Please it. Please go on. I'm intrigued. All right. Hold on. Name one other country that has a bigger ego than the United States as far as being the best and being awesome and like just being, you know, having the best health, the best of everything. We are number one as far as the world, as far as, you know, our eyes can see. And it actually is a hindrance because there are other countries that are developing way faster than us, but we're so blindsided because we're America, we're number one. And I mean, that's, to me, that's like, we're accepted. That's interesting. That's not something I ever would have thought. Well, think about it. (laughs) I think that, I don't know if I agree with you, but it's Mm -hmm. an interesting point. So on on the self-acceptance side of things individually, I guess I'm not going to speak about the country as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, You know, it's great to accept yourself. I think everybody wants to be able to accept themselves where they are, accept their bodies, Um, Who doesn't want to look in the mirror and love what they see? Uh, Who doesn't want to be satisfied in their relationships or in their positions at work and accept where they are in life at this moment or even better still love where they are at that moment? But self-acceptance can also go to the extreme where you accept yourself and your situation so much that you don't actually stand up and make changes where you changes actually need to be made, whether that's in your own life or from even a socioeconomic or political standpoint, when you see things that should be changed, if you just accept it for what it is, then nothing will change and nothing will get better. Right. And I mean, you know, that's, that's my camp right there. I mean, I've, I've been there, you know, and it's, once again, drawing from personal experience, it's not even that you aren't listening. Like, you can't even see it. You know, when you're when you're that heavily weighted on the self-acceptance side, you you know, people can talk to you about stuff and it just goes right over your head, you know? Yeah, criticism just sort of goes, slides right over your head. You don't head even get that someone's giving like, you. you're just like, what? Like, I'm awesome, yeah. so... Yeah, you're like, oh, that person's just a hater or something. Don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also some people, some people, and I'm certainly not saying all people, but some people fall back on self-acceptance as an excuse to be lazy or not make necessary changes to better their lives. And I- I'm going to call this the illusion of self-acceptance. Because in this particular instance, I feel like like people think they're accepting their situation, but they're not really accepting and enjoying their situation if they're living in a situation that they feel like could be changed. And probably if it did change, it would make their lives better, but they're not actually going to do anything to do it. I see what you're saying. Sort of like an apathetic view, like someone who's depressed, but won't admit it to themselves because they're just going through the motions or someone who hates their job and knows that they could get a better job but they just don't do anything to make that happen they just try and accept their situation as it is um it for as an example i mean there are so many different ways these sorts of things can go as far as the fitness arena goes, I, th- I think it's incredibly common for people to be coming from a place of, I don't want to say self-deprecation, but yeah, a lack of self-love yeah, totally. at the very least. 
a lot of people get into fitness for that reason. Mm-hmm. You know, and and the, the thing of it is, is it it can be challenging to to work through both at the same time. So a lot of, um, for the most part, people just keep focusing on getting into the gym or doing their exercise routine and thinking to themselves that as they reach their goals physically, that mentally they will feel better because they want to be more physically fit. But, you know, could could they have been working on, on their mental game as well the entire time and perhaps making much greater improvements in their in their goals? Yeah, I've often thought that I wish that everybody could reach their goals, could just see what it feels like to reach all these goals and dreams they have in their head because these external goals like being a size two or living in a giant house or having the perfect job, these are all well and good as far as markers go, but they don't actually change the way you feel inside. They don't actually change your happiness level. And I've found that so many people think that once they reach their goal, once they reach, I mean, with what I do, it's usually once they reach their physique goal, then they're going to love themselves. So the idea of them loving themselves or loving the way they look is very, very conditional upon them reaching an external goal. And as long as that is case, you're never going to be able to be consistently happy and self-accepting because we are constantly changing human beings. So you may reach your goal, but that could change. I mean, progress isn't linear. You will have setbacks. And if all of your happiness and self-love relies on these external goals, then your happiness will also be nonlinear and you it, it will be very unstable. And that makes it harder to, to make it a lifestyle, you know, health and wellness and fitness, because you're, like Danny said, you're focused on this task at hand. And once a task is done and you've checked it off or completed it, well, what's next? It's time to dismantle or go on to the next goal, whatever it is, or just basically you get lost in yourself because you haven't taken the time to, to figure out mentally where where you can accept and love who you are and where you're going. And a lot of time, once people reach their goals and they realize they don't actually feel any better about themselves, they become even more depressed. I mean, we have something we call the post-competition blues, and it particularly is bad for first-time competitors. They work their asses off, and they reach these crazy banging body physique goals, and they compete, and guess what? They still feel exactly the same way they felt about themselves before they even started this. They don't suddenly love themselves and feel super empowered or anything like that. They feel crappy about themselves and they have a banging body and that's because they were focusing on the wrong things to provide them that sense of self well actually i'd like to interject there not only will they feel the same more often than not but many times they're going to feel worse and the reason being is because they feel like they've reached a climax of the best that they could possibly look and the best that they could possibly do. And they know full well that they're not going to look like that going forward. Or at least they have disillusioned themselves to thinking that they're going to have a staged lean body year round. And as anyone who's competed knows, or anyone who knows someone who has competed, a couple weeks, even a couple weeks after, things start to change. And people oh. are like, well, that's it. <laughs> yep. 
So, so I guess the, the big hanging question here is, can you have both? Can you have both self-acceptance and self-improvement at the same time? Can you both love yourself and actively want to change yourself simultaneously? From the outside, at first glance, I would say no. You either accept yourself as you are or you want to change yourself. But over the years, I've learned that that is not actually true. Loving yourself and accepting yourself the way you are right now does not, it does not have to be mutually exclusive from bettering yourself in one way or another. And I'll give you an example. I'll give you two examples. So somebody who's sitting at home saying, I just ate way too much and tomorrow I'm going to have to go to the gym and exercise for two hours to work off this cheat meal that I had. That is a person who is not accepting themselves but trying to improve themselves, even if it's in a really unhealthy sort of a way. And then there's another person who has maybe not been taking the best care of themselves um, and they're thinking to themselves like, I really haven't been taking great care of myself and I know that I feel better when I do take care of myself. So tomorrow I'm going to go back to the gym and start working out. And that's somebody who is, they accept themselves the way they are and they do want to feel better, but it's because they love themselves and they think they deserve to feel better that they are going to go start working out again. I hope that makes some sense there. I mean, think about your motives for wanting to improve yourself. If you, if your motivation for wanting to improve one aspect of your life or another is coming from a really unhappy place, if it's coming from a place of like you just don't like yourself, then maybe it's time to think about why that is less so than about the actual thing that you want to change. Think about why you feel so badly about yourself in that way. Or, or maybe the opposite. If, you, if you've never questioned where you are, you know, and just feel like you're just going to keep being at the top and keep going on and on, well, maybe it's time to start thinking long and hard about how you can get there and why you haven't even thought about uh, improving, you know? Yeah, if you feel like you've been sort of flatlined for a while and you, in deep down in your heart, you know that there's something that could change in your life that would improve your quality of life, ask yourself, why aren't you going for it? Are you, are you afraid of failing? Are you afraid of the effort that it's going to take to get there? Be honest with yourself. Why aren't you making changes when deep down you know that's what you really want? Yeah, that's it. You got to get real. Accepting yourself doesn't mean that you never want to change. It doesn't even mean that you wake up every single day and are super excited about yourself. Even people who are really self-accepting are going to wake up and have days where they look in the mirror and maybe just aren't super psyched about what they see. That doesn't mean that they hate themselves or that they think they're unworthy. It's just some days we're happier than others about things, and that's okay. You don't have to have this idea in your head that every single morning of the entire rest of your life, you need to wake up and be super jazzed about everything that's going on. That's not self-acceptance. That's, that's crazy. That doesn't happen very often to very many people. And if it does happen to you, 
kudos to you. I wish I was you. But I would say that, uh, you know, there are times bodybuilding has taught me so much about learning to accept yourself. Half of the year, I'm ripped and lean. And the other half of the year, I'm trying to find pants that fit (laughs) because I'm eating more and lifting really heavy. And it's almost like I have two bodies and it has been in the past. And, you know, one is more stereotypically fit or acceptable. And other people, when I'm lean, people look at me and they're like, yeah, she's fit. Even though when I don't look like that, I'm still fit. It's just maybe people aren't assuming that about me when they look at me. And for a lot of competitors, that's a really, really hard thing to deal with. Um, And it was for me too when I was getting ready for my first show and I did my first ever bulking season and I wasn't super happy about the way that I looked but I knew that it was an important part of the process so I just trusted it and then the next year going into my off season I learned to appreciate my fuller more voluptuous self And even though it wasn't super muscly, I didn't have much definition or anything like that, I was strong. I had so much energy. I got to enjoy food. I learned how to appreciate that body in that state very, very much so. Not just like somebody saying like, oh, I appreciate all phases of my... No, I really, really did enjoy that stage of my body, even though it was about 15 pounds heavier than I am right now. And that to me, is self-acceptance. You know, if I tried on a pair of pants and it didn't fit me properly, I wasn't like, wow, this is so awesome that I can't find pants that fit. I'd be like, damn it. God, why don't they make pants for girls that are shaped like me? But I still appreciated how strong my legs were and how much more I could lift in the gym. And the fact that doing this was going to make me a better competitor in the on-season And that's an example of appreciating where you are right there, even though I know that it's going to change. I'm not just focused on the end goal. I'm focused on the whole process. And Giacomo is actually somebody who I learned a lot about self-acceptance from. When I met him, like he said, he was incredibly self-accepting of some things that I would be like, how could anybody live that way? Or like I almost thought he was like delusionally happy with himself, like pleased with himself to the point of delusion. And I thought it was (laughs) so weird because I just never, ever have had that kind of confidence in myself. But it was really fascinating to me. And I remember, you know, asking him way, way back in the relationship, like, what would happen if, what would happen if we broke up? What would happen if I died? I'd be all right. I would move on and you know, continue to live my life. I have to I have no other choice. I, I have to continue to, to go. And that's exactly what he said. And I was horrified. <laughs> um, but I also found it to be really, really interesting. And I asked him, how, how could you possibly be totally okay if I died or I up and left or our house burned down or some crazy big tragedy happened? And his answer was basically that he knows who he is and that nothing can change that yeah exactly and that you know i didn't i didn't come to that realization overnight you know i mean i i went through ups and downs but inevitably 
coming from a place uh, of love and positive thinking, that's how I, I work through it. And, you know, basically it, it helped me to realize, hey, you know, I, I am okay with myself no matter what happens. You know, I can be depressed. I can be overweight. I can be underweight. I can be accomplishing everything. I could be accomplishing nothing. But all of that notwithstanding, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's still me. You know, I've and I've been through all of those those cycles at one point or another, sometimes multiple times over, and I've had to work through it. Uh, fortunately, coming from a place of self-acceptance at a, a very young age, you know, that, that gave me the, the courage and the strength to work through it, or at least that's the way that I did it in my way. However, it also led to me uh, eventually, once I became okay with myself, being sort of complacent and almost being uh, adverse to self-improvement. And the reason being is because, you know, it was my security blank blanket. You know, I'm, I am perfectly okay with myself. And so that was my security blanket. Why change anything? You know, I mean, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Or at least not realizing just how much I could change to, to do, to, to become a better person. I couldn't even see it. Whereas I was looking at everything like it was already broken and I had to run around and fix it. So it was, we were a really, really interesting pair, let me tell you, when we first got together. But anyway, I think that Giacomo's answer about he is who he is, no matter what happens, I think that's really the key to being able to have both self-acceptance and be able to still improve yourself in some way. If you're basing your self-worth on your body or your job or your relationship, if you're basing your self-worth on something that is external that is only going to disappoint you at some point or another and you're going to feel like crap because shit happens. However, if you base your self-acceptance on something that is intrinsically you, something inside of you, whether that is your religion, a lot of people are religious, whether it's that you are a compassionate person. For me, that's what I've decided it is, is that no matter what happens in my life, I'm going to have compassion specifically for creatures and people that can't defend themselves. No matter what happens, that'll always be me. That's never going to change in my lifetime. And everybody has something that makes them them that is never going to change, or at least never going to change much. And if you're able to base your self-worth on that and accept that as who you are and detach all of these external things from that, then it becomes so much easier to work on these external things without attaching them to how you feel about yourself. I mean, it's okay to be proud of yourself when you reach a goal, but if you don't reach that goal and then you fall into a deep depression for a month, then maybe it's time to step back and reevaluate how you're viewing yourself. And moreover, yes, it is okay to be proud of that goal. However, you you know, it's also a, an ounce of humility can go a long way because it will say, yeah, I, I accomplished this. It's all well and good. I earned it. However, there's so much more left that I could do, you know, and then and you can keep going for it as opposed to just being like, hell yeah, I did this and that's that, you know. <laughs> so anyway, this is a topic that I feel really, really, really strongly about because I, it breaks my heart in a way I can't explain to you when I am working 
with people who desperately want to improve their bodies, usually, um, and they absolutely can't stand themselves. They can't see the value in themselves as they are right now. And they can't value the process because all they really care about is the end goal. And it's something that I deal with every single day and try to help people through. And it's really difficult because you can never want something for someone more than they want it for themselves. So although this was kind of like a roundabout topic and it's really hard to nail down and explain in a simple, organized way, I really hope that some of this got through to somebody about how you can find a balance between loving yourself and improving yourself. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And I would care to even say you will never be able to make the same progress on improving yourself until you learn to accept yourself as you are right now. Moving over to our product review of the day, we're going to go over the Rise and Resist podcast. Rise and Resist podcast. It's by Lacey Davis and Holly Noel, and they are out in Oakland, California, uh, as of this moment that I'm recording this. And this podcast, if you have not checked it out, you are missing out wholly. Um, I love this podcast. I wasn't sure where it was going to go when I first started listening to it, but I am absolutely so into it. Lacey and Holly, they are great together. It's very, very conversational. It's not as like geeky (laughs) as this podcast is. There's just a lot more fun and friendly, but they cover some super, super important topics that aren't necessarily like specifically about diet and nutrition and how to make your meal plan this or that or anything like that. But they talk about stuff that is way more important, in my opinion, kind of like the topic that we did today. Um, They talk about dealing with failure. They talk about eating disorders. They talk about their last podcast episode was about taking up space and what that means as a female to deliberately work to grow, which is one of my all-time favorite topics. And they talk about a lot of cool vegan snacks every single time that they do their podcast. And they're just really, you know, they're they're living the life. They're 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 walking the walk, so to speak. They're not just sitting behind a microphone talking about fitness and veganism or anything like that. They're both very, very in the community. Um, Holly owns Fit Quick Waffles, which we have reviewed their pizza waffle on this podcast before. And Lacey Davis is the owner of Super Strength Health. And they're both health coaches and they do meal planning and coaching and things like that. So if you're interested in that, um, you can feel free to get a hold of them through Rise and Resist podcast. So I really look forward to listening to it every single week. I always listen to it during my Saturday workouts. And it's just, it's really great to hear other sort of revolutionary vegan lifting women talk about these things that are really important to me. Anyway, if you get a chance, it is on iTunes and it's free and it is just called Rise and Resist by Lacey Davis and Holly Knoll. And I highly, highly suggest you subscribe to it and let us know what you think. Moving on to our Q&A today, our first question is from Allison Jacobson on Instagram. 
I've heard Omni bodybuilders say that vegans are softer and will not be able to get as hard as their Omni counterparts. And of course that we'll have to work harder to get bigger. I know there's a lot of myths out there, but is there any truth to that? I'm obviously working hard to prove them wrong and show them you don't need to kill anyone to build muscle, but what do you say to things like this? Well, I guess the first question to ask is is where where is this coming from? Where I mean, where is that being grounded from this this ideology that an om, omnivorous bodybuilder will achieve a harder look than uh, a vegan or a vegetarian bodybuilder, so to speak? Um I, gosh, I I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that it, it's. I don't feel like it's grounded in science no, or anything like that. No, not at all. I mean, it's a- anecdotal at best. Maybe, perhaps they're just assuming these things. Well, here's what I'm thinking: is first of all, I think they just pulled that out of their ass, honestly, because yeah. um, there's there's not a lot of vegan bodybuilders. Like, if you were to figure out what the percentage of people who are vegan bodybuilders in the population are. It's probably like 0.0001 or something like that. There's not a lot of us. Not that there's a lot of bodybuilders in general, but there's certainly more omnivorous bodybuilders than there are vegan bodybuilders. And if they are talking about the omnivorous bodybuilders that are like at the top of the IFBB, your Phil Heath, your Kai Green. A lot of people compare bodybuilders specifically to those type of guys, which is silly because those are the guys at the top of the top. And if anybody who ate meat could look like that, why doesn't everybody look like that? Well, I I just, I've been thinking about this as as you were chiming in over there. And I'm trying to ask myself, why would someone say this? You know, because there are, there are little, there are a lot fewer examples and maybe maybe they're taking a look at their their plate and saying to themselves, "This is what I usually eat as a bodybuilder, and if I remove the things that are you know like meat and cheese and whey protein, eggs, egg and eggs, you know, what's going to happen to my body? Maybe they're maybe they're looking at it in that regard. It's and possible. Yeah, you know, and and it's well, one, it's it's very it's a very uneducated assumption, and it, there's just it, there's no there's no grounds for it basically. The only thing that could could possibly be true about this, although I don't think that they know that when they say it, is that um, vegans tend to, in general, I'm not talking, I'm not even talking about bodybuilders. Vegans tend to eat higher carbohydrates than most other people, and carbohydrates store water. And obviously, somebody who has more water in their body is going to look a little bit softer than somebody who has less water in their body. So. Even when you're talking about vegan bodybuilders, generally, we eat more carbohydrates than non-vegan bodybuilders. So let me tell you, though, it ain't by much. So <laughs> so you can get that idea out of your head right there. But I can see why somebody would just assume that somebody who eats a higher carbohydrate diet would look a little bit softer than somebody who had a lower carb diet. And you know what? Once you're fully dialed in for a bodybuilding competition, it doesn't matter whether you're a vegan or an omnivore. You're going to be doing the exact same thing from a macronutrient standpoint if you know what you're doing. If you know what you're doing, you can do the exact same thing as the omni bodybuilders, eat the exact same macros as them, um, and you're probably going to get more micronutrients too because you're eating more plants. Which won't hurt you. Um, But it certainly won't make you look softer. Next question is from Jay Morris Fitness on Instagram. Hey, Jason. It says, how do you decide whether to do full body days, push-pull days, or regional training days? I guess that really depends on several factors. What kind of programming are you coming from before you're switching into a new 
uh, training cycle and how how intense are you able to train i mean if you're starting off a full body workout will be optimal for you you know because you're getting to hit a little bit of everything you're probably coming from a point where you're deconditioned meaning your muscles are not used to the work maybe they can handle it but if you start to load them up with everything they can handle i mean you'll you'll crap out right from the beginning so touching on every muscle group you know maybe once every other day like a full body program would be real really good for a beginner or i mean you know you can do that in an advanced state you would just up the intensity accordingly if you were maybe doing a push pull program for example as far as working body part splits in that's that's not a matter of what's the best for someone who's beginner, a beginner to advanced, although I would recommend it more for an intermediate to advanced lifter. Uh, I would also recommend it for someone who's much more concerned with accessory work. So in other words, somebody who's going for a power style type of training where they literally just want to get as strong as possible and they're not necessarily concerned with their physique, maybe a separate body part split would not be as relevant to them. Whereas someone who's more concerned with their physique and the size and the shapes of specific muscles would say, well, you know, looking at my body, I know I could stand to build my biceps up a little more because I I want to for whatever reason. And so that person would, would maybe start to lean on adding in more accessory work to the point where they're actually doing separate body part splits or maybe a mix of that into some push-pull style training. Next question is from Facebook from Adida Siriswait. I hope I'm saying your name right. And Adida asks, cardio between sets, as in plyometrics or running, to keep heart rate up and help with fat loss, yes or no? Hey, Adida, I hope Giacomo didn't just butcher your name, um, your last name, that is. Anyway, I am not a fan of cardio in between sets. And the reason is because I want to give all of my focus to my weightlifting. And by doing cardio in between sets, I'm not able to properly recover. And especially for fat loss, you want to make sure that you're keeping your lifts up as much as humanly possible because that's how you're going to help retain your muscle. If you if you just secede to the fact that you get weaker when you're in a caloric deficit and start lifting less, your body's going to say, well, we don't need this muscle, and it's just going to start using it for fuel. So I make sure that when I'm in a fat loss phase that I take the exact same amount of rest that I normally do and try to lift at least what I lift the week, lifted the week before. And if I were to start adding plyos or sprints or what have you in between sets, there's no way I would be able to do that. I would just be weaker. So I say keep your strength training and your cardio separate as much as possible, unless you're actually going to use weight training as cardio, but you would still do that separately. And what I mean by that is like a metabolic conditioning workout or something along those lines where you're doing, you know, lighter weights, higher reps, but that is your cardio workout. That's not your strength workout. I'm all about that, but you still want to keep it separate from your weight training, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I could roll with that. I mean, strength training, if you're going for that, should be exclusively strength training, whereas if functional fitness is more of your bag or a mix of the two, you can do them both. However, give the proper attention to what you're doing, you know, don't, don't go all over the map. If you were training for other specific things, like I believe that you mentioned something about training for a Spartan race or some sort of obstacle race or something like that, 
then this sort of thing would be good for you because that is specificity training. Then you're literally training for what you're about to do, which is going to be stuff like pulling yourself up a wall and crawling under barbed wire or whatever, and then running. So by doing plyos and sprints and stuff in between your sets, you're sort of mimicking what those races are going to be. And I think that's a good idea. Um, Ditto training for a specific sport doing some plyos or whatever in between your lifts or doing supersets, that makes sense for those sports. But specifically for fat loss, and I'm assuming muscle retention, I would still say no. All right, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. If you have any questions for us, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Vegan Proteins. And if you could take a minute to go onto iTunes and rate us or leave us a review, it really, really helps us get this information out there to more people. And we very, very much appreciate it. So thanks again for tuning in. My name is Danny. And I'm Giacomo. And we will talk to you in two weeks. 